Now, it's my pleasure to introduce you guys to Scott and Kim Parry-Jones. Scott and Kim have done many a refresh. They've got... Scott, where are you going? <laughs> four adult kids and four grandkids whom you had in four years. Is that right? Four in four years. Wow, we, that's we didn't have our, We didn't have our four kids in four years. No. We, we were smart, <laughs> but our, our eldest child didn't learn from that, so he had four in four and a quarter years. Wow. Four years and three months. No twins. <laughs> now, that wasn't my question. I'm going to ask you one sex, question. The sex talk was too good, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's my question for you. As couples, one of the things we do together, or Renee and I love to do together, is eat together. Tell us, what would be, thinking back, what's the most memorable meal that you guys have shared together. The most memorable, memorable or meal? embarrassing? Most in, well, <laughs> it is embarrassing. Should I do the honours? Yeah, well? you can do the honours. We had a couple of toss-ups in thinking about this. The, um, I think the most memorable one for me was, which kid was it? Todd An or Sky? Anniversary. Yeah, which Todd. which one was Todd? We're pregnant with Todd. Yep. So this is about twenty-seven years ago, twenty something like that, and it was our anniversary. And, um, and Kim was quite pregnant, um, very pregnant, but we went away for our anniversary anyway and, um, and we went to Sydney and we went to Potts Point and we had a lovely uh, room in that circular restaurant thing that's up, up on one of the things overlooking Potts Point. And we went there, we were looking at all the harbour, it was just a lovely, beautiful, romantic night and, um, and we'd had this three-course meal and it was just really lovely and then just... As we finished, we thought, okay, that's it, let's, let's go. And you know when you, when you get to get up, you, you just sort of lean forward to sort, of, you know, to sort of move your chair back? Well, Kim just sort of leant forward to move her chair back and just vomited the whole meal onto the table without any no warning. warning. No warning. It was just like she's crushed oh. the... It just went, brr, all over the table. So here we are in this romantic circular restaurant, candlelight, all these couples around, and we're sort of going, what do you do with that? Uh, you and, picked up all and, the... Check, please. I, I started folding the, the, the <laughs> tablecloth over like this to sort of minimise damage control. There was a couple at the next table who took sympathy on Kim and just sort of rushed her out to the, to the oh, toilet, yeah. and I'm sort of sitting there with this three-course meal on the table, <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Thinking, where do I go from here? And the, and the maitre d' comes over and he says, oh, dear, sir, I'm terribly sorry about that. I said, well, as long as you don't charge me for it, because we've left it here. <laughs> That's, That's good. I'm going to hand over to you guys. Take it away. That's it's one so, of the meals we had to choose from. Yeah. So good to be back. We have been, like Renee was saying, I think we've been at every refresh from number one. And uh, we don't feel like graduating either, but Tom, it's, uh, it's really good to be with you here again. Um, and I felt it very helpful for what Renee said too, that um, Refresh is a time where we get to have the conversations that we just don't have. Yeah, this so, is our uh, third Refresh 3. Just before we start, who's been to Refresh 1? 2? No one's been to Refresh wow, 3. Okay. But you will recognise that funny thing there. So, <laughs> so for those of, those of you who haven't been to all the Refreshers, uh, what we've tried to do here is to recast a lot of the marriage material that we do into something that, that is um, sustainable to be able to be drip-fed over a few years. And it was intended to be a three-year curriculum, so this is the third year. So if you've been here for one and two and now three, 
you've matriculated. <laughs> so, so the point here that we've, we've been doing all of the time is trying to understand that there's really four components that we want to talk to you about and we're liking it to a bit like the stool where you've got, um, we've talked about that it's very important that you have a very strong identity in yourself as a couple which means that as a we you are doing a lot of things together as a we and strengthening the we that you have. And so we've had a lot of things in the past where we've talked about that uh, in order to try to develop and strengthen the partnership that you have moving forward as a we. But then we've also talked about the three legs on those as being the friends, partners and lovers as being the three elements that if you're not sort of at the right height with each one of those, you can end up having your we a little bit out of balance. And so it's good to have all of those strong elements as part of that. And so it's important to have a strong, firm stool. And to do that, you need a strong we. Strong we and a firm stool. We figure you'll remember that. <laughs> so here we go. That's my contribution. <laughs> no, really, the strong we and the firm stool really is so that you will serve God in your marriage in a, in a really healthy way. That I mean, we laugh at it, but I am so concerned that we present strong marriages in this culture in the next um, decades that come when it's under so much attack that you live such godly lives, as, as, as Peter says um, in two, 1 Peter 2 verse 11, that you live such godly lives in your marriages that the pagans will glorify God for it. Wouldn't that be great? So that's how we're going to head off into this one. Now, this is your first group too. We know that we want a strong way and a firm stool, but um, it doesn't always happen. There's Scott and I many, many moons ago. There's a big split down Haven't the middle there. Haven't changed much, have you? <laughs> There's hair on your head. Um, but this is your first group talk because I think we learn from each other. In our group talks, we really do. Uh, we learn from each other. What are the factors that you think causes couples to drift apart or even bust apart? Now, if you haven't noticed it in your own marriage, you will have noticed it in marriages around you. Parents, parents' friends, aunties, uncles, cousins, all those people. Or even within your own congregations now, I know some of you have seen couples drift and bust apart. What are the factors that causes that, do you think? And what differences have you observed between those that drift and th those who bust? I'm going to talk a bit about that more seriously after you've had your chance to talk with each other. So we'll give you a few minutes, get into discussion groups and see if you can have a bit of a scribe, someone who writes down in your book because it is in, in your manual, things that you come up with in your groups of three couples. We'll call you back in a few minutes. Yeah, you've only got a couple of minutes so um, get stuck into the discussion quickly. So have we got any comments where somebody would like to contribute back what they thought were were examples of uh, or differences you observe between couples that have drifted apart and busted apart? What about this table over here? You had lots to talk about. Um, 
Uh, one of th we said, uh, well, I said one of the things that make it can cause you drifting apart is having very separate ministries or lives. Like sometimes, maybe even when uh, children are first born in that young stage of life, um, and if they're difficult children, then they sort of like take up all your time, and then your life starts getting separate from your husband's time. And and yeah, so if you don't address it, even having a fight is good. It's addressing it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Any other thoughts? What we're after, is there a difference between a drift and a bust? Come on. We'll jump on you otherwise. Yep, over here. It's good. Wait, wait. Up. Yep. Um, a drift seems to be something that's more gradual over time, uh, maybe not communicating some of the things that are bugging you along the way, whereas a bust seems to be immediate, something big happens and there's a bust. Um, and someone mentioned in our group that sometimes people who don't like confrontation maybe tend to drift, but people who are more confrontational will have those busts where they regularly fight and it becomes loud or, or whatever. So, yeah, just the importance of dealing with things as you go through life rather than building stuff up and, and resenting. So you find sometimes the busts are like an explosive argument that can actually pull you back together again? Yeah, or can it, be, it could also be a devastating event you know, like something, a crisis happens in your family or someone commits adultery or that sort of thing and there's a bust. Whereas the, the drift, um, there might be little things that are happening and they're not big enough to have a big argument, but as they build up um, over time, there's that resentment and so you tend to drift apart. That's pretty well capturing um, what we wanted to bring out of this one, Scotty, so we'll leave it there. The fact is that um, a drift, as you said, can be quite gradual you don't even know that it's happening so much or if you do you think it's normal or you know it's okay it's almost like falling asleep at the wheel you know how you fall asleep at the wheel you don't even know until you get that little little but that tends to be what's happening when a crisis hits so what we find uh, in couples that we've talked to and counseled is that the bust happens after a long drift okay so the bust will be how, ma how many of you even thought of oh I thought they were happy I never saw that coming. Gosh, they've separated. And nobody knows because nobody understands that long drift that's happened before the crisis. And the crisis will be something big. And it's often what I find, it's often a crisis where one partner feels that the other one hasn't been there for them. So I've faced this big thing in my life and you weren't there. And you weren't there because we've been suffering from a long drift. So please be aware of that in your own marriages, but also in the marriages that you're looking at. You can't assume, just because couples smile, you know, that they're okay. They could be amongst uh, a long drift. And let's be aware too that it's the women who really uh, tend to feel that drift more than the men. I think that's just the way we're wired. Uh, we've talked about that before, how women are more emotionally in tune with what's going on in the relationship and they may pursue and pursue and pursue saying we need more time together, we need to talk about this um, and the husbands will be quite unaware of how um, far they're drifting and so that in the counselling room you'll often find a husband who comes in and goes, I thought we were happy, <laughs> I thought we were fine. And uh, what they haven't understood is that long drift that's happening and then the bust. And the bust can be some sort of big crisis. I mean, it, it can be just that there's a whole bunch of resentments. So the take-home point from this one is that um, what will happen is that in a couple, 
one will feel that the other is withdrawing energy from the relationship. And when energy is withdrawn, the other one will tend to pursue to try and connect, to try and get that energy back into the marriage to a point. And after that point, they give up. So I've said this before, I think, but a woman will often come and say, I've spent years trying to get in touch with my husband until finally I learned to live without him. And it's a protection mechanism. If I can't have you, I'll learn to live without you. And I will build a life without you and I will go along in that life without you and we'll be fine in this long, long drift until a crisis hits. And then suddenly I go, you know what? I could do this better without you. You will see that in the marriages around you. You'll see that in your congregations. I think the Bible's true where it says uh, it is not good for a man to be alone and I think men feel that aloneness. But I tell you what, I'm meeting a lot of women my age who think I'm doing quite well without him. I can really live better without him. I think that's really sad. That's what comes after a long drift. And we're all susceptible to this long drift. I, I think it's also it's important to understand the different expectations that that you know uh, taking uh, gender roles as being gender roles uh, that women, as Kim said, will tend to pursue the relationship. So they'll tend to invest in it. They'll want a home that's a dynamic environment. They'll want to have a lot of interaction. They'll be wanting to work and make this thing really happening. Whereas the guys just see the home as a refuge. Like I just want to chill. And so they don't have the same expectation as to what's going to be in the home when they get there. So the wife's going to be want to, you know, like, hey, I want to talk. And, I, and the guy's, no, I'm just chilling out. And so the guys can actually not invest in the relationship as much as the girls do. And, and that can, as Kim was saying, over a long period of time, that can actually sap a lot of the... Um, the well-being from the woman out of the relationship because she keeps trying, keeps trying, keeps trying, doesn't seem to get any response and then she just gives up. And so a lot of guys will think, you know, she's been so unhappy all these years because she's complaining all the time, wanting to talk about all the difficulties we've got and now she seems to be happy because she's not complaining but that's when she's given up. And so that can be sad. Yep. I certainly do if they come into the room and want counselling, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I tend to find that now I'm more aware of this because I I wasn't aware of it all, at all either, and I've and I now when I'm in in my growth groups or just chatting with guys, I'll just start asking them. So, what do you do investing in your marriage? And a lot of them are really perplexed by that. They go, "What do you mean?" I said, well, what are you doing proactively that is taking your marriage to a deeper level? That you are, you know, you are leading spiritually, you're praying with your wife, you're all this. What are you doing? And, and often the guys are just, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and that can then sometimes open up the discussion topic. Mm. But I think it has to often come from guy to guy because otherwise the guys will think it's just the girls harping all the time because they want more of my time. Mm. 
And so we just wanted to share the fact that this, this long drift can happen to anybody and it certainly happened to Scott and I. Um, I, got, I asked Scott to graph our journey and then when he did it I went, really, is that how you see it? So this is how he sees it. This is how he sees our marriage as a drift. <laughs> what, did, what did you mean? <laughs> We're talking about that now. Now, bearing in mind, I, it looks worse than it really was um, or my, was my perception anyway because I was chilled. Um, <laughs> And, and also, understand, we've been married for 36 years now, so that's a timeline across the dotted line here. So it's over a long period of time. And, and I've got to say that for the first four years of our marriage, um, we were having a great time. We were one of those couples who actually had a lovely honeymoon, lovely courtship, a lovely four years. It was just absolutely terrific. And why? Well, we were both busy in our jobs. I had a very busy job, so did Kim, um, but we, were, we saw our jobs as just something that we did for money and what we spent most of our time together doing was holidays, um, we were spending time in ministry together, we were both leading a youth group, uh, we were playing in a gospel band uh, that we travelled around the country together in, so we did a lot of that stuff together. And so we were doing ministry together, we are in our same headspace and then we just went our way for eight hours a day and did our work and then we came back again, but, but our headspace was in us, if you get my drift. So we were building on our marriage. Then, coincidentally, at about the same time, Kim had children. Well, we both had children, but she was the one who, who, who mothered them, right? So, so we started having children at that point. But at the same time, I started to commence my business. And I, for those who don't know me, I started a software company uh, 30 years ago and built the software company up and, it, and sort of with world domination in mind. There was, a, there was a whole bunch of stuff that sort of happened where for many years I ramped up the business, so I commenced it, ramped it up, uh, then we did acquisition things and all that sort of stuff. But in the meantime, Kim was having children. So we had Joel and then Ryan and then Todd and Sky. And what we found at that time was that like my work was consuming my headspace. So my headspace wasn't just go to work, come home, right? It was actually consuming me. So even when I was home, I was thinking about work, planning, strategizing, thinking about the whole ball game. And of course, Kim was thinking about kids, and she's thinking about you know, their their growth and their development and all that sort of stuff. And so her head was in the kids. So what we and I don't think we realized it. Uh, we were really in a different headspace and really separating for quite a long period of time. And if you add that up. It goes from about 1983 right through to about 2003. It's about 20 years. That's a long drift. Does that sound right, Cathy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and, and, but we didn't realise it. And now that it's, it looks worse than it is, right, because we were still together. We still played in the band together for a period of that time. And we had our honeymoons together, like we'd have our anniversaries where we'd go away together and we'd have holidays together. And so we'd... We would consciously, well, sorry, Kim would consciously organise for us to spend time together and get our heads together into our relationship. But it wasn't until, um, I think it was around about this 2002, three time, that I started do, doing, getting myself out of the business. So I was able to pull off the thing a lot of business guys haven't been able to do, where I still own the company, but I don't work there anymore. And so it's still current today. And so back in about 2002, uh, three, I started pulling out of the business and appointing a CEO to take over from me. 
which then gave me all this headspace because he was running the business and I wasn't. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do now? So I started getting involved in doing overseas development, started working, started an organisation in North Korea and started working as a board member with OIA. But at the same time, Kim had started to get some more time as well and so she started becoming a volunteer at OIA. So just because I was on the board and she was a volunteer, we were in the same headspace again. And we looked at each other and went, hey, that's interesting. We're, so, we're sort of working together again. And it, and it sort of rung bells. This is what we've missed. Yeah? And then over time what happened is I ended up leaving work, but we started doing more stuff together. So while I was travelling to North Korea, Kim would come to North Korea. We started doing our Marriage Matters ministry. And then I finally left work around 2008. And then we had children getting married and leaving home, so that freed up more headspace. Then we started doing more church work and Geneva, there's a plug. So what's happened is, <laughs> is we've actually been sucked together and I've drawn it like that so that it looks like the things like the children and the things like the work were pulling our headspace away from the we. And then it wasn't until we started doing things that were more inside, which was doing more things together, that it started pulling us back together again, feeling that we were working as a team. Comment? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I don't spend so much time on us as to try and get you to understand for the long term, because you guys haven't been married 37 years, what will your graph look like? Uh, for us, the very vulnerable points. I mean, Scott paints that picture as being that far apart, but I felt very lonely for a lot of that. Very lonely, spiritually lonely, trying to carry the the uh, the baton for the family a lot, and a very consumed husband. And I think a lot of you girls are living a similar life, although your husbands are consumed rightly with church and with their busyness. I think there can be that sense of are we together in this, or am I feeling a real separation from you and there were vulnerable points in there too um, just with crises that happen deaths in the family things like that that can either bring you together or can really bust you apart and it depends on whether you're a strong we through it so that could look very different graph around 2004 if we just decided to continue on now I'm going to do this and you're going to do that and the whole thing could have gone that way again very, very easily. There are vulnerable points in everyone's relationship where the busyness or whatever it is that pulls you apart, how do you handle it? And I don't think we talk about this much because we don't think that far ahead. So here's your chance to think about it. You're going to have a couple talk now where you're going to graph your relationship and it might only be five years long. Who knows? But you're going to do a graph similar to what we did and graph it over how many years you've known each other. Put in some major events like kids or buying a house or whatever it is. Where have been the highs and lows of closeness? Where have you felt close and where have you felt that drift? And just discover, uh, discuss together what you can learn from your own graph. What are your vulnerable points? So... Um, you might do it like that. You might have a different way to do it. But you need to just separate a little bit for a while and get to just the two of you and do it together. We'll leave you to do that for a while. All right, everybody. I realise that for some of you that might have been easy and for some of you you're going, oh, my goodness, I'm looking at the drift. 
or um, we've just done our graph and we're like this going this way. It's not to despair, it's just for you to be aware of and also to see that over a long period of time your graph, if you did it every year, would always go whoop, 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 whoop because marriage is an ebb and flow. Um, if it was just zzz, like you're dead, isn't it? <laughs> uh, like in the hospital, zzz. So it will have that ebb and flow of closeness, of feeling together, of feeling apart, of wanting to reconnect, and that's very, very normal. What we want out of that little section is for you to be aware that there are vulnerable points. If you can see that you've been in a very long drift for a long time, just have in your mind, hey, crisis time could happen, and what are we going to do with that? So we need to be able to be to be aware of vulnerable things like moving houses and having children and all the things that can cause a couple to either get further apart or come closer together. And you'll all be unique. So just be aware of that. And something that I noticed when I was filling that in myself was it seemed to be independent of how busy we were. Right? Um, because Kim and I have always been fairly high-capacity people and we're probably busier now than we have been for a long time. Uh, but I think the implication is whether you're busy with your head together. So are you both together in what you're doing? And are you both involved and, and linked in with what's going on? So is that pulling you together or is it drifting you apart? So it's not the busyness necessarily. Hmm. Sure. So let's move on to the next, um, the next part, which we wanted to talk about spiritual intimacy together. Now, we've not done this in any of the refreshers before. Um, we... The fact is that we leave the theological, biblical, all that sort of stuff to the, to the other guys and just do the practical stuff here. But we've found that there are a lot of differences in expectations and realities of what happens to a couple as regards how spiritually close they are. Uh, last month we ran a young marrieds and we always get the young marrieds to tell us their little courtship story, how they got together. And one of them just tickled me. He said, um, oh, I saw her at um, church... And I didn't know how to ask her on a date or anything. So I sort of, I rang her up and I said, oh no, I texted her and I said in the text, um, would you like to meet me tomorrow and read the Bible with me? <laughs> and I went, it's this, be the is, best pickup line, this is so young married <laughs> idealistic stuff, lovely and great. And yes, they did. They read the Bible together and, uh, and got together and obviously got married. But isn't that, isn't that that level of expectation? When we get married, we're just going to be reading and praying and praising the Lord together all the time. And, and that's the way it's going to be. And then <laughs> it doesn't always happen, does it? I know. I could look around the room and I can know that what you expected by the way of spiritual intimacy, may not be how your marriage actually works. That's not to say it wouldn't be a nice goal, but we have to be real and we have to go, are we uh, living what we want to as a spiritual couple? Uh, some couples really expect that they will get married and read the Bible together every day. They'll attend the same growth group. They'll pray and discuss important things. And I know couples, I know a couple who's been married over 30-something years who prays every single night before they close their eyes. And, and I think that's wonderful. That hasn't been my experience. Um, it might not have been yours. But it doesn't really matter what everyone else is doing. It's what you're doing and what you expected and is that good for you? Dealing with the differences. Is there a right or wrong? If I went around and got you to share all those experiences, would we have some couples saying, we do nothing together spiritually to the other of, 
we start the day with prayer. We have prayer at at, uh, at lunchtime. We read the Bible at two o'clock. We, there would be such a spectrum of what's going on spiritually for you. But what we just want you to talk about now, and you may not have talked about for a long time, is is the reality that you're living with now spiritually what you want for your marriage? Or if, are there some things that you just want to talk about? So your expectations and your reality. So what level of spiritual, spiritual intimacy did you expect? So this is maybe flicking back a bit, you know, just being honest with each other. No, I really thought it would be like this. And am I pleasantly surprised or am I somewhat disappointed in how it is? And are there any changes? It may be that you look at each other and you go, it's not what I expected but I'm happy with it. Or it might be, it's not what I expected and I would like to see some changes. So this then again is a, a time issue, it's a personality issue. I know there's some people who just don't like praying together. There are other people who just desperately want to. It's just a time to talk to a, as a couple. What did you expect? What's the reality and are there any changes you'd like to make? So could you please do that on your own in the next few minutes? As I said before, you won't, you won't be able to get through everything you want to talk about, but that's terrific. Just keep a note of that and talk about it again another time. I'm sure you'll find time. So we, we finished the, um, the top of the firm stool, the we, um, hoping to help you to understand that your marriage will go through times of ebb and flow, driftness, closeness, um, being vul understanding the vulnerable points for busting apart and being aware of seeing that in your congregations as well and your friends. And then understanding that um, spiritual intimacy or any expectation we have that isn't met can leave us with a disappointment. What do we do with that? Or can leave us with a pleasant surprise. What do we do with that? Um, if spiritual intimacy is something that you need to revisit again, then do so. Talk about it. Uh, it will have ebbs and flows as well. And I have no doubt that uh, the closer you are talking about these things, the better. Um, we're going to move on to the first leg of the stool, the friends part, uh, how we become stronger as friends. And um, I've got a, a, a new set of things here I would like to talk to you about and it's also on page six in your manual if you want to take a few notes. I'm going to talk about friends of your actual ministry together. Uh, we'll do marriage in a little bit while after this. But our, our passion for ministry and our energy for ministry is so much affected by the people around us, um, the people who populate our personal worlds. And being with people can be exhausting for some of us. For some of us, it energises us. I know that this is conference month. Some have been to FIEC already. Some are going to this. Some have been to others, staff staff days and all the rest of it and I know some of you will just be energised by that and think it's wonderful I know when Scott came back from FIEC I sort of said How, how's it go you know and he's like oh it's great it's great it's great it's great <laughs> it's just fantastic you know he would just go on till midnight and I think he did with a glass of wine and a few friends um, others of you will just go oh it was exhausting and, uh, and I don't think I can front up for another conference for another year uh, so I understand that but um, we have to understand as a couple, how that affects us, because there may be one of each of that in your marriage. How do the couples, how do the people around you help you in your ministry or not? And so I'm going to go through labelling a few people, and I don't mean this in an awful way. I just want it's good to identify the people around us, not to pigeonhole them, 
but to plan around how much time you spend with them. And so the first one we want to talk about are what we call the VRPs, the very resourceful people around us, the people who ignite our passion. When we're with them, we just come back with a renewed passion. We feel like they've added a plus, plus, plus to our life that day. Um, I'm hoping you're starting to think about, oh, I know one of them, but uh, I just thought I'd get Scotty. Who, who are the VRP uh, people in your life, the ones that just leave you impassioned for ministry? Uh, and I think this is important to understand. It's not just sort of the blinky-eyed, excited people. It's the, it's the ones who actually work with you how you work, right? So what actually builds up your resources. For me, um, I'm, I'm quite a thinker and quite a, I like to sort of like ideas and so I get quite enlivened by good conversation. I think the first person that sort of really got me uh, really thinking on a lot more depth was, a, was the fellow we went to North, that we partnered up and went to North Korea with. That was David Bousseau. Um, you probably don't know him, uh, but he's uh, an amazing gem of a man. Very quiet, very unassuming, but, but has a, a thinking process that is just in a different dimension to where, where you are thinking. And so I found whenever I was with him, I would come away just blown with paradigm shifting and, I whoa, I've got to process that. So I found he was a very resourceful person for me when I would spend time with him. I think Andrew Hurd's another person that I find when I spend time with Andrew. He's, um, he's challenging and we have great discussions and good, good foiling uh, talks together and that enlivens me as well. So, but that's again because I'm the sort of person who feeds on that stuff. I probably suck the life out of Andrew when I, when I have those conversations with him because I'm probably one of the reverse to him because I'm sucking him dry, right? So it's, it's, important, to underst- it's important to understand what works for you that actually builds your resources up. So it's not a, a type of person, it's the type of person that works for you. And I, and I would know the difference when I would, um, Scott would come home from a chat or a time with David or even with Andrew as well where it's just like buzzing again because they add to his, they add to his passion, they ignite his passion, they keep him going and uh, these aren't necessarily your best friends, these people, these VRPs, they're not necessarily the person that will remember your birthday, you know, it's just the person that invests and enlivens you for ministry. So that's what we call the VRPs. Now, if we look at our calendar, we've got to realise it's great to have some time with these people, but we can't have all our time with these people. If so, we would be like a child who won't leave the nest, you know, won't leave home, won't get out and be an adult themselves because they're just always wanting to draw on someone else. So very resourceful people, they ignite your passion. What about the very important people? The, the catchphrase for this is the people that share your passion. They may be very good friends. You may be very close to them. Um, there's sometimes people who've shared a chunk of our life in previous, previously, um, but it's usually that they've shared a big chunk of our lives, maybe at university or where we first started a church or something like that. They know us and uh, they're very important to us and they share our passion. They love what we love they love being on board with our ministry. Um, I think that in the Bible it was probably like um, Barnabas and Silas, VIPs to Paul, making a huge contribution, sharing his passion. Um, but they also can come with some problems and conflicts along the way as well. It's not exactly the same as the very resourceful people because we don't spend a lot of time with those people. 
But with VIPs, we spend a lot of time with them. So there's going to be bumps in the road. But they delight in our successes. They weep with us. They're gold. And I think we all need very important people in our lives because they share our passion and they, uh, they will be the ones that are alongside you as teammates. What about these people? Very nice people. <laughs> they enjoy your passion. They love being with you. They're very nice. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just that the contribution to your ministry or your passion for yourself, for your ministry, is pretty neutral. They're just nice to be around. They'll join in. Um, but the danger for having too many VNPs around you, very nice people, is that they'll just fill your calendar with lots of nice things to do. They'll invite you to everything <laughs> and they'll want you to be there. Um, but they're not actually helping, igniting or sharing your passion. They're just along for the ride. They just don't snap, crackle and pop if you can sort of think of that. I think Jesus had a lot of VNPs following him around and I think he saw them as like sheep without a shepherd. The crowd. And you remember that he often sharpened his teaching a bit to uh, thin out the VNPs, the very nice people who were taking up a lot of time. And, uh, and that's what sometimes we need to do. Ultimately, too many very nice people will just drain you. Okay? They will be very prevalent in your church, I would expect. Yeah. <laughs> You're all starting to think. <laughs> Which is good. And lastly, the VDPs, the very draining people, the people who sap your passion. So we've gone from igniting to um, sharing, enjoying, and then the VDPs. My sister had another word for this. She calls them the EGR people, but that didn't work for me because I needed the V. I said, what's EGR? And she said, extra grace required people. <laughs> And uh, you'll know who I mean. Now, it's not to be unkind to the hurting and emotionally disturbed people. It's just that we would like you to identify them and, and be aware of the VDPs. You will not understand the weariness in your soul unless you understand the VDPs in your church, the people who are draining your passion. Now... There's VDPs everywhere in a business, in a school, in a PNC, in a sporting club. There will be VDPs everywhere. But have you noticed who has the most? Churches. Because they are attracted, of course, to the grace and mercy and kindness that should be prevalent in your churches. So they are there and they are hurting and emotionally disturbed people. So I'm not saying kick them out... I'm just saying identify, be aware and be careful that they don't uh, drain you completely for the energy you need in your ministry because they are on the negative side of the flow of energy. All right, we've got a three plus plus for the VRPs and a plus plus for the VIPs. Neutral for the VNPs but the VDPs are on the negative side of flow of energy. Um, this, does, this does have pastoral implications though. Because you can't just reject these people. Not saying that. <laughs> but, it, but it may need that may mean that you need to think about the fact that you need to build systems to be able to handle those people within your church rather than it always coming back to you. 
And I, and I do think of Jesus again. He did mm. spend time with the very nice people and very draining people, but I never see him allowing them to capture his whole schedule or to change his mission. Um, just make sure that you have a mixture of these people that you understand and see what is adding to the flow of energy for you in your passion. Now, I know it's, it's a difficult topic, but I think it's some, probably a topic you haven't talked about too much and I'd like you to have time now in your couples to identify the VRP, VIP, VNP and VD people in your life pertaining to your ministry. And I mean name them because it's just between you two. Talk about how much time you spend with these people and if you think it needs revisiting. Okay, And you'll both have different. Your wife will have a different one to you. But it's a good conversation to have. How is this affecting our flow, our passion for ministry? We'll give you a big chunk of time for that. So did you find that easy to um, identify the people that you, that you have in your ministry? Yes? And um, so what happens when, when the people who are very resource like intensive what are the top ones the the vrps the resourceful people are resourceful to you but they're draining to your to your wife or or husband yeah how do you cope with that that's that's part of the challenge of dealing with that and those um the very draining people were they easy to identify yep al what do you call them in your church emotional vampires emotional vampires okay <laughs> You've got to drip feed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a never-ending... Yeah, it is. And I guess um, what's hard for us too is to realise that sometimes we could be... We, you know, we think, oh, we must be the resourceful people. But we might be just very nice people to a lot of people. We all fit into different, different ones. And um, I hope that you're able to have that conversation and have it again as time goes through and, um, and make sure you do fill your calendars with a mix of people. Um, make sure you understand that ebb and flow in your own energy to when you need to some time with some very resourceful people or when you need to cut back with the very draining people um, because the, the idea is to keep you energised and passion for your ministry over a long time and you guys have only just started out, some of you. So you need to be aware of these things. Uh, similarly, for your ministry... Let's move to the next one. Um, we need to have friends of our marriages as well. Um, we need to be aware of who is adding to or depleting uh, our, our marriage as it is. And um, I think we need to also talk about with each other about whether our in-laws or our couple friends, the friends that we're friends with, both of them, are they very resourceful people for us? Or are they very draining people for us? And how do we manage the uh, amount of time we spend with our in-laws and with our couple friends? Um, sometimes we can have friends as couples who we surround ourselves with just the very nice people. You know, we, I know we don't want to go on holidays with the VDPs. We know that. <laughs> but um, it, there might be a chance where you have to look at your calendar of holidays even and go, who do we spend time with? Do they help us rest 
or do they drain us on our holidays? Those sorts of things. Are your in-laws very important people to you? Do they help you? Do you need to spend more time with them? Or do you feel that you need to spend less time with them because there is a drain on your marriage? Um, this is the time, and then there's only a couple more minutes to go because we're going to give you lots of free time. But for you to um, think about a friend of your marriage that might help you if you were in trouble. We call this, literally, friends of our marriage. It doesn't mean it's a friend of Scott's or a friend of mine, but it's friends that will help us or pray for us if we're in trouble. I would like you to have time to think about that sort of couple as well. They will not be your best friends, but they may be an older couple that you know you can turn to. And so in your last couple talk for now, you're going to talk about your VRP, VIP, VNP and VD people as pertaining to your marriage instead of your ministry. Um, do you have the same couple in mind when you say these people really help us, they ignite us? Um, do you have to need to revisit how much time you spend with your in-laws or certain friends? And who would you reach out to if your marriage was in trouble? You know, if you were in that long drift or feeling the crisis of a bust, do you have a couple you could go to that you trust that would pray for you? Not just a counsellor but a friend of your marriage. See if you can name that couple today. See if you can agree on that couple and go, these are the people that we would like maybe even now to ask to be a friend of our marriage and to help us in the long journey that we have as a married couple and, uh, and ask them to pray for you regularly uh, and have that friend of the marriage that is resourceful for you. So that's our last couple talk. Um, after a little while, uh, Renee will be getting up, I think, to, um, to head us off to lunch. But five minutes to talk about those things, the friends of your marriage, your in-laws, uh, on couple talk four. Away you go.